Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you know a story in um, the book of John, it's probably this one, Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, we're going to be looking at it here in just a minute. If you need a Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, you can grab one off the side of the tech booth back there. Feel free to do so if uh, you would prefer to have one in your lap. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up the app and find our live events and track along with all the stuff there. <clears throat> uh, I, I don't know, some of you um, have younger, younger kids. Uh, some of you may have like lodged this in some place in your memory that you never want to access again, like the safety deposit box of your memory. But some of you are dead in the middle of it where uh, somebody gives your kid a Lego set and you get the opportunity to do it. And when I say get the opportunity... I mean, what you really want to do is send your kid out to play and do the thing because you can do it faster, more efficiently, with no missing blocks, nothing on the floor that you're going to step on later, and any number of other things, and it'll turn out right. Yes? Yes. But you don't because you're a good parent. And in doing so, what you are allowing them to do is work through this Lego set building, whatever it is that they're building. And on occasion, it's true, like the, the green piece may be in, in place of the blue piece and the, the pink thing that's supposed to be sticking up is actually on the other side of the thing or whatever. But they, they get to the end of it and you let them get to the end of it because you're a good parent. And part of the process of all of this is um, they struggle through the instructions, uh, which are just ever so slightly better than Ikea instructions, fair? And they, then, then they get to the end and they said, I did it. And you celebrate with them. Because as you let them struggle through, when they get to the end of it, their level of ownership increases significantly of this Lego thing, right? Like they do put it on a shelf or they do play with it nicely. They don't just, you know, break it apart and do it all over again. Like because they struggle through it, their level of ownership increases significantly. That's where we are today. Nicodemus, we're going to watch him. We're going to watch him struggle through his, uh, really struggle toward faith. And Jesus is going to let him. Because his level of ownership, as we will see later in the Gospel of John, his level of ownership increases precisely because of the struggle. So um, three kind of big... Um, Big pieces today. We're going to start with verses 1 to 7. Um, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Uh... I mean, the um is not technically in there, but it's there. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So um, first big phrase that I want us to hold on to is that Jesus, when he's interacting with Nicodemus, um, he's telling us and telling Nicodemus that there is a necessary experience that we must have. A necessary experience. You must be born again. That's, what he, that's how he closes that little section of the scripture. You must 
be born again. This, it is a necessary experience. The only way, I'm going to go and put the cards on the table here. The only way to enter or to see the kingdom of God is through trust in the king. There's no end around. There's no Google map. Gonna An alternative route is, uh, you know, like there's no toll road. There's no faster way. There's no shortcut. There's no better thing. There's no um, other option. There is no other way for a person to enter into and to see the kingdom of God, to have the experience that Jesus wants us to have living under his rule and reign in our life. There's no other way to do that than through trust in the king. You must be born again. Nicodemus here, okay? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, back to verse 1, root of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said, Hey, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus counted on two things. He counted on his pedigree. And, but I'm a Jew. Like I, I am part of God's chosen people. I am one of the in crowd. I'm like, I, 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 this is me. I'm good. I'm good. And he counted on his performance. He was a Jew and he was a Pharisee, meaning he was to the law. Um, he was somebody who could keep it. He could name all the laws. He could keep all the laws. You weren't going to find fault in this guy. His pedigree and his performance. I wish, uh, you know, I, I, well, here's what I know. I know that nobody in here counts on their pedigree or their performance to make sure that they're okay with God. Well, no, I'm not a Jew or a Pharisee. I'm not sneaking around to Jesus by night. Right. In Christian circles, maybe it sounds like this. Well, I was born in a Christian home. That's pedigree. Well, I mean, you look at my life and I'm basically a good person. Like, follow me around any given day, my good outweighs my bad, no problem. That's performance. And you think to yourself, that's fine, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Somebody drug me here. It's Memorial Day. I'm here because, you know, we're going to go out and barbecue later or whatever it may be. In secular life, so that's kind of church life, if you will. If you grew up around religion, that's, that's kind of how it expresses itself, pedigree and performance. If you um, didn't grow up around a religion, it sounds a little bit something like this. Um, well, humanity is basically good, which is the pedigree form of saying, I'm basically good. I'm okay. And a little pastoral time out here, a little parentheses. If you live with the notion that humanity is basically good, I want to invite you. I would never invite you except to disabuse you of this notion. I want to invite you to watch the news. Because there's nothing, it ain't happening. Okay, game on. Back like in the, in the, Okay, so in secular life, in, in church life, hey, I grew up in a Christian home. In secular life, well, humanity is basically good. In, uh, in, in church life, it goes something like this. Hey, I'm, I'm more or less just a good person. I'll, on balance, my good outweighs my bad. In, uh, in more secular life, hey, look, if we would just clear out the roadblocks and the obstacles, people could do, people could do all the good that is in them to do. Performance. Church family, listen, please. Hear the words of Jesus. No pedigree gets you into the kingdom. No performance gets you into the kingdom. You must be born again. There is a necessary experience that you and I must have. Back to verse 2. Nicodemus comes to him and he comes to him by night. Let's just pause here and say, it doesn't matter how you come to Jesus, just that you come. 
Some of you would be scared, if uh, metaphorically or literally um, speaking, uh, to show up to Jesus in the middle of the day because you're afraid who's going to see you. You're afraid of the questions that are going to get asked. Nicodemus is scared of all these things too. He shows up to Jesus um, by night. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. But respect for Jesus, recognition of the things that he does, and receiving benefit from him are not faith. They're not. They are respect and recognition and receiving benefit. They are not faith. Everybody loves the magician, the guy who can do the party tricks, turn a little water into wine. Sure. Everybody loves the magician. The question is about following the master. That's the question. It is is a necessary experience. And the only way that you see the kingdom. So Jesus answered, verse 3, truly, truly. Now, when he says that um, in modern parlance, it would be like, certainly this is the case. Literally, it's amen, amen. That's what he's saying. Check this out. Put every degree of seriousness that you can say right here, like right here. This is what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus rolls with the metaphor. Um, He said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is something that has to happen to you. Has to happen to you. He answered, I say to you, um, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So let's just continue on here. Um, the, the only way to enter or see the kingdom is through trusting the king. But, but furthermore, the, the life that Jesus is offering to you and to me, the life that he is talking about to Nicodemus, the um, Zoe, this is the word that we've tracked through John, that, that kind of life that is stained by eternity and not just existence here on the planet, that kind of life is a brand new kind of life. It is not you improved. It's not you with an amendment. Nobody raised the debt ceiling so that you could like slip in underneath it. It is a brand new you. That's what he's talking about. It's why Paul would reflect on this and say it in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new creature. The old has gone away, the new stuff that has come. The life that Jesus offers is radically new. And some people think, maybe a little bit like Nicodemus, I kind of like my life. You must be born again. Nicodemus started this conversation with niceties. Hey, look, uh, you, Rabbi, you're like a good guy. And you do some cool stuff. And normally in conversation, when somebody offers you a compliment, what do you do? Well, you compliment them. Oh, thanks so much for saying that. By the way, I really like your shoes. Or however this conversation goes. Jesus is having none of that. Why? Because he knows that it is a necessary experience for Nicodemus and for you and me to step in and to have a brand new kind of life. You must be born again. So he continues on, and we'll pick this up now in verse 5. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And you think to yourself, what in the world? Well, Nicodemus is steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And so Jesus is um, picking up on this metaphor that the prophet Ezekiel uses in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. Here it is. Chapter 36, verse 25. Listen to this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. There's water. 
You shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. There it is right there. He's picking up on this language. I will put in uh, within you. I will remove my, this heart of stone, this uh, uh, cal- just calcified thing that will not bring genuine life. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, an honest-to-goodness, living, breathing heart. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey um, my rules. So, the, the kind of life that Jesus offers is a brand new kind of life. It is a new standing. This is what Ezekiel says. It's a new standing before God. You will be clean. Verse 25, I will sprinkle water on you, clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your sins. All this uncleanness, all of these idols. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, I don't know that I'm that bad. Like, I mean, maybe just a a little dirty? I mean, I don't know. Listen, the kind of washing that Jesus wants to provide you, the kind of cleansing that Jesus wants to provide you is not just the stuff that other people see, not just the stuff that you admit to, but it's the stuff that you would never, ever, ever tell anybody about. It is the thing that Isaiah picked up on and said, although your sins be like scarlet, you can be made washed as white as snow. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to get red out of white before. This is what he's promising. You can be made clean. And for some of you, based upon the things that are in your past, based upon the things that you're running from, based upon the things you're trying to medicate yourself out of, based upon the things that you're trying to anesthetize yourself to so you don't feel that pain, I want you to know Jesus is in the building today. And what he says to you and me is that you can be clean. You can be clean. It's a new standing before him. Verse 26, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. You, Excuse me, you'll be clean. That's 25. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put uh, within you. And I will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. There is a new heart that will be yours. The old stuff that has been uh, uh, calcified and stuck in there and just become concrete inside of you, Jesus is going to take out. There is a transplant. There is something radically new about what he's going to do in you. He's not just going to take your stuff and then make it better. He's not going to uh, uh, spruce it up a little bit, just a little small little renovation. He's jerking that thing out and giving you something different entirely it is a new heart and one of the ways that expresses itself i will put in verse 27 i will put my spirit within you cause you to walk in my statutes be careful to obey my rules you will get a new direction because part of what's broken in us part of what is hurting in us and part of what is malfunctioning in us and and bringing dysfunction to our lives is the wanter that is inside of us is busted i want the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. And I don't want the right things for the right reasons. And so part of what gets um, uh, uh, pulled out and replaced inside of us is that wanter that is broken. It goes under um, the knife, so to speak, and, and there is something that changes inside of us that is radically new. So I can begin to want the right things, and I can begin to not want the wrong things instead of having those things. But this is what he says. I'm going to put my spirit in you. You put your trust in Jesus. When the new life comes to live um, inside of you, when you are born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you and goes to work to start to want to do the things that Jesus wants you to do and not do the things that Jesus doesn't want you to do. This is part of it. We get a new direction. This is a radically new life. It's not not you improved. It's why he speaks the way that he speaks to to Nicodemus. Now, back to verse 6. 
of John 3. He says this, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when we talk about things being radically new, um, what, what he's saying in verse 6 is, listen, you don't just evolve this. Like flesh doesn't evolve to spirit. You don't get there eventually, you don't get there inevitably, and you certainly don't get there on your own. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. One chapter, or two, excuse me, two chapters earlier in verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 12, he says, uh, but to all who did receive him, to, to them, uh, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, how, how were they born? Well, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the man, but were born of God. There has to be something that happens to us. It is a necessary experience, and we won't get there on our own. We will not get there inevitably, and we will not get there eventually. The kind of self-righteousness that is based on our pedigree, and our performance, no matter how it expresses itself in your life. That kind of self-righteousness, it, 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 it lies to the reality of our lives. Because in, in Nicodemus' life and in our life, we're not on a spectrum of good and bad. Bad stuff over here, good stuff over here, and I'm more or less on this side. It is a, it is a binary zero or one. It is a binary dead or alive. This is the message of Christianity. This is why it is a necessary experience for us to be born again, to have life that comes from above take up residence inside of us. Second phrase I want to give you is transformational power. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There, there's, a, there's a wind and, excuse me, back up. Spirit and wind in the Bible are the same words. So he's picking up on the wordplay here and doing this again. So <clears throat> the, the wind blows where it wishes. The Spirit blows where it wishes, if you will. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born in the Spirit. What happens when the transformational power comes uh, um, to us is that there is an external power that creates, um, generates, if you will, an internal reality. This is what happens. In Ezekiel chapter 37, so which follows Ezekiel chapter 36, you'll be clean, you'll get a new heart, you'll get a new direction. That's, that's 36. In chapter 37, it's the, val, uh, the vision of the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel's out there with all of these bones, death everywhere. And the Spirit of God comes to him and says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He's like, you got me, man. I don't know. You know, I know. Speak to the bones, Ezekiel. He goes, live. Bone met bone. And then they started getting covered with flesh. But then they were just standing bodies is all they were. Can they live, Ezekiel? I don't know, Lord. Only you know. He said, speak to him. Live. And it says, the breath of God blew on them. The power of the breath of God. The wind of God, if you will, the spirit of God, then caused these bones to live. There's an external power that produces an internal reality. We've talked about this before in multiple ways, and I just want to um, put this on a little bit uh, um, uh, maybe more familiar um, situation. You can imagine uh, b- being in a hospital or some uh, medical setting, and uh, a-, a person is laying there and has expired, okay? At no point, at no point do you ever expect the person who's laying there and has expired to grab the paddles and say, clear, and then shock themselves into it, right? Why? Because they are dead. That's exactly right. There has to be a power from outside that brings that power to bear on them so that they can experience this 
An external power produces an internal reality. The result of that, the wind blows where it wishes. The result of it is what is uh, the very last phrase in verse 8. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The result is a life of freedom. A life of freedom from both condemnation for our past as well as compulsion in trying to please God. Oh, if I do this, maybe God will be okay with me. Wrong. I am not condemned because of what Jesus has done. And I get the opportunity. I am free to live to please him. I'm free from both of those things. And that freedom, that life that is free, that defies explanation. People who do not have it, they don't know what to do with this. And frankly, they don't even recognize it all the same. The wind blows where you, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. They don't necessarily have a category for it. And this is Nicodemus. He's like, uh, dude, I don't know. What is happening here? I'll just give you two examples. You can uh, look this up later. It's not, uh, not going to be in the um, Bible app or anything, but go, go check it out later. Paul. Uh, his name was Saul. He was a Pharisee like Nicodemus. Uh, he encounters Jesus and quite, quite literally gets knocked off of his high horse. Falls to the ground. Jesus speaks to him. He turns his life over to Christ. Spends a, a few days in preparation and then immediately begins testifying, Jesus is the Messiah. He gets in all sorts of trouble as a result of this. Spends some time away. Um, comes back to Antioch um, where he is commissioned out as a missionary. He takes his missionary journey. Uh, that, that's in 13. He takes his missionary journey. Ends up in this little town in Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 called Lystra. L-Y-S-T-R-A. Lystra. He shows up there. And uh, there were some people who did not like what he was talking about. Therefore, guess what happened? They literally drug him out of town and threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. I, I, they took him out of town and stoned him. His disciples, the followers of Jesus gathered around him. He got up and went back into town. That's the craziest part to me. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but if we had a bad moment here, and you drug me out to the parking lot and threw stones at me until I, you thought I was dead? I don't know that I'm walking back in the building to grab my you know, laptop or whatever. I don't know that that's happening. This is exactly what Paul did. He went back to the very town that he had just been drugged out of. And then um, the next day he went on, did some other stuff, went kind of further out. That was on the outbound portion of his trip. On the, ba- on the inbound portion of his trip, guess what? Stopped back by Lystra. He didn't just go back in once. He went back in twice. What kind of person is this? The kind of person who says the gospel is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And if the worst they do is kill me, I win. If, if I'm going to live, it's going to be Christ. And if I die, it's gain. It's gain. Uh, we've been talking in um, one of the conversations that has come up fairly recently in our um, staff meetings um, has been about, um, we've been reading this book and it's prompted these conversations and I referenced this the other day in the staff meeting. Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity um, and in the book he's talking about the response of Christians in the, um, uh, in the first and second centuries. And in particular, in the late second century, there was an empire-wide plague that happened, affected the entire like Roman Empire, known world at the time. A plague that infects basically the entire known world at the time. It's 
was trying to remember if there was any. I was, there's a reason I told this story. So anyway, um, so th- this is what's happening. And um, if you were a person of means and you lived in the city and a plague happened, you just got on up out of here and went to your country house. Get away from the plague people. That, that's what m- the, the people who could did. But that's not what the Christians did. Here's what Rodney Stark said. Most of our brother, and by the way, brother and sister Christians, uh, but, but the, most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them, don't miss it, and with them departed this life serenely happy. Okay. For they were infected by their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. This is the sentence that got me, though. Many, in nursing and curing, others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. I'm a follower of Jesus. Second century Rome, plague breaks out. I'm going to go take care of somebody who's infected. Well, you may die. That's true. It's true. But if I can tell them about Jesus while I'm helping them, or maybe they'll live. But like, I know where I'm headed. I know what's going to happen to me. I know the promise of the resurrection that is mine today. And so I'm willing to give my life away. And here's the part that messed me up. They transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. They were willing to do it. Why? Because Jesus had done that for them. What kind of life is this? That kind of life that is marked by a transformational power and it defies categories and explanation. That life is a life of freedom. And it's the life that is ours when we experience this necessary change. When the transformational power comes to us and we get to step in to this kind of story. What story is that? It's a story where somebody will give their life for someone else. We know that story. It's the story of the gospel. Look look at verse 9 now. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Let's just pause here and say, if our life of freedom um, is lived out, there may be questions along the way where the Nicodemus of in our lives struggle towards faith and they just look at us like, bro, I don't know how this stuff could actually be the case. How can these things be? That's okay. That's okay. Because like, as the level of struggle goes up, so does their level of ownership of faith. How can these things be? Um, Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Here's what I tell you when it comes to this gospel story, the inability to grasp this, the inability to grasp this does not negate the reality of the truth of it. These things are real. These things are true. These things are right. And if Nicodemus or your friend or your uh, teammate or your neighbor or whomever, if they can't grasp it, that doesn't negate the reality of it. Nicodemus is not bad. He's just blind. Remember, it's a binary thing. It's zero or it's one. 
Verse 11, truly, truly, there's that phrase again. He's done it three times now. Amen, amen, certainly. Check this out. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things, if I've spoken to you in these kind of terms, is what he's saying, um, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except um, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So nobody has the authority to speak like this Unless it's me, because I've been there and I've seen it and I'm telling you about it now. So the inability to grasp this doesn't negate the truth. You and I, because we are followers of Jesus, we get to speak of certainties that are a part of our experience. These are things that we know, he says, and these are things that we bear witness to what we have seen. Let me push just a little bit here. Part of your summer, what I'm praying for us as a church family, part of our summer together is that the experiences um, that we get to be a part of, camps um, for students and and kids, um, uh, uh, maybe a little bit uh, uh, different pace because our kids are out of school and the rhythms are different. And maybe we spend some more time either together or in the front yard on the driveway or in the cul-de-sac riding bikes or at the ball field or wherever it may be, that part of our experiences would give give rise to us speaking of certainties in these moments because there are folks on your ball club who need to know about these things that you know and have seen. There are folks in your neighborhood who need to know about what you know to be true, this certainty that is yours. It's not that you don't have questions. They may have questions. How can these things be? That's fine. We speak of certainties, things that are reality, things that are true. And part of what I'm praying for us as a church family is that there would be there will be. We would make and take the opportunities to speak about these things because they, of the certainties that we have experienced. Yes, with candor, true, and compassion, because we're not a jerk. Yes, we make some audacious claims. We follow a guy who got up from the dead. And we make that claim with a smile on our face because it's a reality for us. We speak of certainties. Last thing, when when Nicodemus asks the question, how can these things be? Verse 14, Jesus is the answer as to how these things can be. As Moses, he's still speaking. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is the answer to the question of how this can be accomplished. He's referencing a a, a story from uh, uh, the book of Numbers. Uh, There's a plague that came into the camp of the Israelites, um, and there were snakes, and they were biting people, and they were dying. And uh, Moses is like, Lord, what's happening? He says, yeah, there's a plague because these knuckleheads didn't do what they were supposed to do, and the consequences of sin is death. It doesn't matter how uh, uh, you you think it may be or wish it were, the consequence of sin is death. So Moses, take uh, some metal, make a bronze snake, and lift it up on a pole, and the people who look to that snake, they will be delivered from this. This is what he's referencing. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he was on the cross. For what reason? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He becomes, he becomes the place where we gaze to experience deliverance. He's the one who is lifted up in order that we can have the kind of life that he's offering there. He's the one who put himself in the place. He became, if you will, kind of snakey for us so that um, taking on our sin, bearing our shame. He became the one who was lifted up in all of the, 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 the um, darkness of that. He became, he became the one who did that for us so that we didn't have to 
carry our sin and shame anymore so that we really could be clean, so that we didn't have to walk around with a heart that is concrete and broken, but we could get a new heart, so that we didn't have to live according to our own devices and directions, but he could give us the spirit to lead us into what he wants. He is the one who has done this for us. You may think to yourself, this all sounds impossible. That's right, it is. It is. In a different part of the gospel, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. With women, it's impossible. Nobody, you can't do this on your own, folks. Your neighbor, it's impossible. Your friend, it's impo- your coworker, it's impossible. Here's how he finished the sentence, though. But with God, all things are possible. And so I say to you, in the room, watching online, you're at a place today where you need to hear you must be born again. The good news, Jesus is in that business. He will make you clean and give you a new heart and put his spirit within you so that you walk in a different way. And for those of you in the room, that that's a reality already for you. You, you know the necessary experience of the power that transforms us um, through the story of the gospel. Listen, you know those things. There's a world out there waiting for you to testify. We bear witness to what we have seen. Let me pray for us. We'll take a moment to respond. Um, Father, please, for these uh, next couple of moments here, just set these things where they need to set in us. Um, My sense of things, just talking to you about them, is that... um, This lands differently uh, for some today because previously they have not categorized themselves in these ways. But God, we don't want to count on our pedigree. We don't want to count on our performance. We don't want to count on any of that stuff. We want to count on Jesus. Um, Not only for our own lives, but also for the lives of those that we love, those that are in our neighborhood, uh, those that we will encounter this summer, those that we'll meet on vacation. May we bear witness to the things that are reality for us. But may they be reality for us. Don't let us skip that part. This is what we give you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.